Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted by the first of each month. The content of the podcasts is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled Death as an Advisor and Losing Self-Importance, Reflections on the Teachings of Carlos Castaneda. The talk was given by Carl Crummins on October 13th, 2018 in Prescott, Arizona. Carl has led study groups on spiritual teaching in various cities. He has lived in India for seven years and has a passion for considering the essential similarities of spiritual traditions. Carl Crummins. We could start with two questions. Why am I doing this and what are you doing here? <laughs> doing this, I have to review the material and, and it kind of brings it back to life for me. And then there's why you're here, and I think there's many different reasons why you're here. One thing I'd like to know, who is it that's not familiar with the Don Juan books that hasn't read at least one of them? Oh, that's about a third of you. We're all here kind of for the same reason. In the background, we're wondering, who am I? What am I doing here in this world? And is there anything like that I really need to do here? And that's that's kind of what got us, you know, we weren't willing to buy any of the solutions that the world sold to us as to who am I, what am I doing here, and, you know, what am I supposed to be doing here? If you had, you wouldn't be here tonight, you wouldn't be attending these talk series, you wouldn't have lived the lives that you've lived, which is kind of lives of inquiry and seeking uh, for some sort for meaning in life or some sort of meaning for ourselves. What our culture does, is trying to do, has done, is kind of sell us something so that we're comforted, we'd comforted and we don't wonder about what's going on in this world, what's going on in life. And uh, in this world, if you pay attention, is really puzzling. As Noam Chomsky said, this world is puzzling. And if you're not puzzled, it's because you're a replica of somebody else's mind. You know, I think I memorized these quotes and then, but anyway, if you're not puzzled, it's because you're a replica of somebody else's mind. This is Noam Chomsky, and you know, like a really a great thinker. And, I, and like Rilke said that, you know, he felt the sadness of this world, and he lived like a hundred years ago, is it removes our ability to wonder and see the mystery and magic of the world. And I think that Castaneda, the writings of Castaneda were fabulous. It's a particular tradition. Castaneda's tradition was a particular tradition. It's a certain vehicle with things to it that are unique to it and things that don't fit from other traditions. Castaneda was a really great writer and presented Don Juan, you know, maybe he thought it all up, in which case more power to him because it's fabulous. In this tradition, for the people who are not aware of it, there's a tonal and the nagual. And you might say that the na 
Tonal is everything that we can name, all, all everything that we think that belongs to the language, to the world that we understand, the world that we can identify, you know, chair, table, whatever, everything that, that has name to it. And the Nahual is everything else, which is infinity and eternity. That's a lot. It's a lot more than the world of the Tonal. And and these correspond to, in a person, the right brain and the left brain. The right brain is a Nahual, the left brain is a Tonal, the, the linear part of the mind, the language part of the mind. And in that tradition, the Nahual was also the name of the leader of the group, the guide, the shaman. He was called the Nahual. And the Nahual, there was a Nahual man, and, and later on we found out that it was a Nahual woman. And they were taught the rule, which is presumably all the directions. These people had, a, they worked as a little group. You know, in the book, you mostly are just getting the training that Don Juan got because he was a Nahual man. He was a supposedly a double-bodied being. Don't worry about that. I'm very broadly read in this stuff, and I haven't found anything about the lumiseg, the double body. A lot of the terms are not anywhere else, which is interesting because generally you find corroboration for traditions and other traditions. You find a lot of corroboration. And for certain things in the Don Juan tradition, there is no corroboration. But we won't worry about that. But this is back to the great writing. Um, it is time now to tell you the rule as pertains to the Nagual and his role, exactly it was to- as it was told to me. Being involved with the rule may be described as living a myth. In my case, in my case a myth that caught me and made me the Nagual. For those of you who are familiar with Joseph Campbell or with C.G. Jung's work, that's like being, that's like being possessed by, the archety- by an archetype, you know, which is... It, a, a, a very powerful thing. An archetype is like the shaman, you might say, is an archetype. The hero, the wise woman, the sacred prostitute. There's a, quite a number of uh, the king, the warrior. These are all archetypes, roles that that people sometimes get possessed by. The problem with being possessed by an archetype is that you may lose your individuality. You have you get infused with this, this tremendous energy and power, but you lose your sense of individuality. Being possessed was caught by the myth and made the Nagual, which he, it was kind of like he, he caught the wave and rode it, hung ten and rode it in, to use another metaphor. And there was two things in, in the tradition. You had two lines of tradition, stalking and dreaming. Dreaming literally meant lucid dreaming, but not just lucid dreaming, lucid dreaming in a group of people. And that certain people were better at it, and they went into the, they were part of the dreamers, and they got trained in that. And Don Juan was, had that training, was very hard. There's people who were like natural dreamers, who like remember their dreams and they have vivid dreams and they remember their dreams every morning and they're sometimes prophetic. I'm not like that. I struggled for months. It was like became the focus of my life before I could ever have a lucid dream. There's people who do this naturally. Anyway, part of the thing was dreaming and the other part of the, the other half of the tradition was stalking. And that's what I can address. Stalking is becoming aware of yourself 
in, in all senses. And the part of stalking that, that we can do is, or the, uh, the area that I'm going to talk about is a, is a tonal, which is the personality. You might call it the ego, the, the language structure, because nagual, that's infinity. If you want to hear something of the nagual, who's, who here is familiar with Jill Bolt Taylor? Okay, she's a woman who had, who had a stroke. And her stroke, she got pushed into the right side of her brain. She lost the, the left side of her brain. And, and that's somebody who, can, who, who speaks about the condition of the nagual, where there's no distinctions. Everything is unified. And it's a great experience, but you can't function in this world that way. And supposedly Don Juan was able to slap Carlos Castaneda and be somewhere in between the shoulders and shift them into the second attention, into the Nahual, into this other state of being. Now, when I was young, I had people slap me between the shoulders and I never got shifted into anything. So anyway, so who knows about this? There's no other tradition that has it laid out so simply. But there is such a thing, there is this other attention. And, and let's say in I've also researched near-death experiences. These people, you might say, do go there, but it's so broad and varied that it's not a useful, not useful for mapping. The thing that I want to assert is that ego or our personality gets a lot of um, bad press. Bad press, thank you. Gets a lot of bad press, but you know that's what we got to work with. The going to Nagual and staying there a while, that's a, Don Juan had two different things. He had, he had this thing called the assemblage point. And the assemblage point is how you assemble reality. Your point of view, you might say. That's another way of saving your, saying your point of view. And there could be two move, there could be something called the shift of the assemblage point and a movement of the assemblage point. A movement of the assemblage point would be like a radical, like going to the world of Nagual or something pretty radical. A shift is just a change of point of view. And we've all had shifts of the assemblage point. In fact, there's a, there's a quote. There are lots of things a warrior can do at a certain time, which he couldn't do years before. Those things themselves did not change. What changed was his idea of himself. That's part of stalking. But you know, that's happened to every single one of you. There's so many things you can do now that you couldn't do when you were in your teens that you probably couldn't do five years ago. So we've all had, you know, we've all, in a manner of speaking, have had shifts of the assemblage point. If you hadn't had a shift of your assemblage point, if you hadn't had things happen in your life that have given you, that, that go, wow, there's something else here. The world is like set up or our culture there's a social self, and we're kind of indoctrinated from when we're born. The whole, the, all the memes that, memes are a word for like thought forms um, that become something like autonomous that everybody believes in, that everybody knows about. And, and we all become socialized. Um, and that's the social personality. And that's kind of like 
the thing of like creating some space that there's more than that there. I remember one of the things that did that for me, I saw a movie of about um, uh, crop circles, but it was like a movie. It wasn't like just on your laptop or your, your monitor. It was like a big, you know, kind of a big screen, a documentary. And I remember it, somewhere in the middle of the movie, I noticed that my jaw was hanging open. And that the, the crop, who's not familiar with crop circles, hasn't seen any. These things could not have been done by the Army Corps of Engineers. You know, I mean, there's a few people who claim, you know, two guys that claim, you know, they went out there and, and mowed, mowed some wheat down. These things are enormous, incredibly sophisticated geometric patterns out in fields. And I mean, I looked at these things because they were on a big screen. You can get a real sense of their enormity and complexity. And I remember I was just awed. And people are trying to explain this. You know, I mean, there's people who devote their lives to studying the crop circles and trying to figure out what the message is. And there's definitely some of the message, some of the crop circles got away from geometric things to representational images. And something was going on, and it's unfathomable how these things could be created. And I remember thinking, I'm okay with this being a mystery and not understanding this. I'm okay with mysteries. And, and this, is the, the, this is, I think, a, the, a big thing about this, that the, the Don Juan material, that we need mystery. We need to be okay with mystery. We need to be okay with, with not having the answer to everything. And how to restore that sense of magic and mystery, I think this, we need it. It's without that, without, without questions that are not answered and can't be answered, answers are closed doors or, 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 or rooms that you've gone into. You go, okay, I know what's in here. Good, I got it. Nowhere to go. But a question is something where, you know, it's like a, a room with that you don't know what's in it that has possibility. This is great. By the way, you know, if you're wondering about any terms or if you have any questions, please ask them. Just raise your hand or interrupt me. So anyway, I want to assert that we can, that the personality self is, is educatable into a useful tool, a useful, because that's what, that's all I can work with. I can't go around, hit somebody on the shoulders and propel them into the, the into the world of Nawal. We've got, well, you know, I've got words to do whatever I'm going to do tonight. And that is to empower all of us into you know, our personality, the fine, the, you know, the description of ourselves, we can loosen up on that description, but we can train the mind. Maybe this is well, maybe what I'm really doing is advocating for critical thinking, which is really important. Unless you do critical, unless you can learn to ask questions and then not be satisfied with anybody's answer until you have your own answer, until you go, yeah, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. That's a great idea. I wish I'd thought of that sooner. You know, when you get like that about anything, that's what you, that's what you need to get about everything. Your own answer, even if it's something that's, that you, that's a problem. That's a problem with language. 
because you can talk about something, you can describe it, you can go, okay, I know all about whatever. I know all about cars. Well, you know, if you can take a car engine apart and put it together again, maybe you know about cars. But if I know all about these ideas and you can study these ideas and you can get very conversant in them, you can explain them to other people sort of a little bit like I'm attempting to do here. You go, well, I know all about it. You don't know any, you don't understand until you stand under ideas. So part of that is critical thinking, to ask questions and not be satisfied with other people's answers. A warrior acts as if he knows what he is doing when, he, when in effect, he knows nothing. That's great. That's saying, that's kind of just saying, I mean, he acts with confidence, but he understands that he really doesn't know anything. That's, that's a profound statement. In fact, I'm going to read the path with heart. To become, a man, to become a man of knowledge is an unceasing process. That's kind of like what the work says. There's a lot of fourth-way Gurdjieffian people here. You may not all know who you are, but I know who you all are. Um, so I'm going to be flipping into some fourth-way Gurdjieffian language here. And if you don't understand what I mean, you know, please ask. Um, but that's a lot like the work, which is that, you know... Intentional suffering and conscious labor. Conscious labor. That's it. Same thing. Thank you. Um, that's the same thing in here. Uh, to become a man of knowledge is an unceasing process. Being a man of knowledge is not a condition entailing permanency. There is never the certainty that by carrying out the predetermined steps of the no- of the knowledge being taught that you will become a man of knowledge. So it's not a paint-by-the-numbers thing. It's not like, okay, you do this, this, and this, and, and you come out with that at the end. That you will become a man of knowledge. It is implicit that the function of the steps is only to show you how to become a man of knowledge. Thus, becoming a man of knowledge is a task that cannot fully be achieved. That's great. That cannot fully, a task that cannot fully be achieved. There's no end point. There's no, okay, I'm there. No top end. You know, there's no like destination. Okay, I got it. I'm finished. Rather, it is an unceasing process comprising the idea that one has to renew the quest of becoming a man of knowledge. You have to keep keep at it your whole life. And in the first book, he talks about defeating the four enemies, you know, uh, fear, power, clarity, and old age. That's in the first book. You're supposed to conquer these things, but you never conquer old age. Here, <laughs> I'm proof. It's, it's an unceasing process that one has to renew the quest. The idea of one's impermanency, that we're only here for a short time. There's some, there's, uh, some great song lyrics to that effect. <laughs> Anybody remember them? So we are like a blade. We are like a moment sunshine on a blade of grass. Gordon Lightfoot. Anyway, I'm tone deaf, you know. What? It's a great song. It's a great song. I loved it. And the idea that one has to follow a path with heart. Now, 
this thing of a path with heart. This is a big thing. And I'll read you the thing of, the, of a path with heart. But here you got the same thing as the work. It's an unceasing process. What is it? Endless suffering and eternal struggle. Well, what is it again? Uh, Conscious labors and intentional suffering. Okay, that's what it seems like to me. Eternal suffering. (laughs) That's That's what's more familiar. Anyway, the path with heart. Anything. They don't make glasses that shift focus. Um, Anything is one of a million paths. So there's a million path. Anything is a path. Therefore, you must always keep in mind that a path is only a path. If you feel you should not follow it, you must not stay with it under any conditions. To have such clarity, you must lead a disciplined life. Only then will you know that any path is only a path and there is no affront to oneself or others in dropping it if it is what your heart tells you to do. All I'm going to be doing is lightly touching on, this is the excerpting of Don Juan's quotes taken out of the first five books and some other materials in here that I did when I had the spare time to do such (laughs) bizarre things as go through books and just pull out quotations here. A man of knowledge is one who has followed truthfully the hardship of learning. A man who has, without rushing or without faltering, gone as far as he can in unraveling the secrets of power and knowledge. To become a man of knowledge, one must challenge and defeat his four natural enemies, which I just said, and he's never going to succeed in the last one anyway. But your decision to keep on the path or to leave it must be free of fear or ambition. So what you're doing, you, you, you can't be goal-oriented in this in the sense of, uh, you know, wanting to prove anything, wanting to succeed. Ambition or goal-oriented. Look at every path closely. Try it as many times as you think necessary. Does the path have a heart? All paths are, they sa- are the same. They lead nowhere. What a profound statement. You know, anything is a path of heart. Depend, that all depends on you. And it's not about just seeking truth in this abstract sense of the, of the work. It's, it's your whole life in a manner of speaking. You know, I've thought that why, do, why, does, why are some people driven to become like a musician and another person want to cook and another person want to write? And why, do, why does any of us want to do something and do it? And, and, you know, and pursue anything. Anyway, but all paths are the same. They lead nowhere. Why do we go on a path? I mean, it's not going anywhere. Let me, let me finish reading this before I give my answer. <laughs> In my own life, I could, have, I could say I have traversed long, long paths, but I am not anywhere. Does this path have a heart? If it does, the path is good. If it doesn't, it is no use. Because... Because paths lead nowhere, but one has a heart and the other doesn't. One makes for a joyful journey as long as you follow it. You are one with it. One makes you strong, the other weakens you. Well, in a sense, there's the answer because you're compelled to, because you're enjoying yourself, because you're moved to it. 
it's not like you're pursuing a should, you know? You know, like when you're doing something like just for, you have to make a living. You know, even then you can make a living pretty enjoy, you know, enjoyably, or, or it could be really like you feel like you're trading time for money. You're a wage slave. Yeah, it's like writing. Writing is like a solitary activity. You spend an enormous amount of time research, drafting things, and these people have to do this. And so few of the books that writers write get published, and yet they write another book. They're like compelled to do this, and it's like this solitary, isolating activity that these people have to keep doing. You know, and and they have to do it. You're compelled to do it. I th- actually, I think people like that. You're driven. They have a daemon. As long as you're following this inner compulsion, you're okay. The results don't belong to you. As uh, Krishna said to Arjuna, you know, you have to do your dharma. You have to do what you need to do. Um, but the results belong to me, not to you. So you're doing the thing that you're passionate about, that you enjoy. You know, and sometimes it's like really a task. It's you're driven. It's not, you know, artists, so many artists, they paint and they paint or they sculpt and they sculpt and they've got to rent a place to store all their paintings and they're not selling, but they got to keep painting. Isn't this amazing that people like we get so passionate about useless things in life (laughs) And, and that we and that there's such a variety of them. Women who want to be mothers and want to have like a lot of children to take care of, you know, and they know this at the outset. And they, you know, I remember one woman saying, I had to find a guy who wanted the same thing I did, wanted a big family. And she just found some guy who wanted the same thing. And, you know, they both wanted big families and other people want like nothing to do with that. They want to be an artist. They want to have sex, but they don't want to have a lot of children. They want to go on, you know, do their art. And this can change in life. You can follow a path and then you feel like it's no longer, it's no longer breathing you. And it's okay. So you, 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 you raise your head, look around, and see what else is around. Yeah, there was also, there's things I'm not going to talk about in, in Don Juan's teachings. There's a lot of things. Recapitulation non-doings, the ally, the eagle. The eagle is an interesting term, the eagle's gift. And the eagle is, it's, I would call it a, um, a symbol for God, but let's not use the term God for the intelligence of life or consciousness. And I'm not going to explain much about the eagle because we're going to get into how many angels on the head of a pin. The eagle, that power that governs the destinies of all living things, reflects equally and at once all those living things. There is no way, therefore, for a man to pray to the eagle and to ask favors, to hope for grace. The human part of the eagle is too insignificant to move the whole. might say that's the divine path, uh, the divine process of... of uh, of evolution, of divine evolution. It is only from the eagle's actions that a seer can tell what it wants. The eagle, although it is not moved by circumstances of any living thing, has granted a gift to each one of those beings. In its own way and right, 
any one of them, if it so desires, any living being, includes animals here, if it so desires, has the power to keep the flame of awareness, the power to disobey the summons to die and be consumed. Everything, every living thing has been granted the power, if it so desires, to seek an opening to freedom and to go through it. It is evident to the seer who sees the opening and to the creatures that go through it that the eagle has granted that gift in order to perpetuate awareness. This is some fairly esoteric stuff here, but it's like in the fourth way you have that you have to create a soul. And I want to translate, and if you you have the lifetime through this eternal suffering that we're doing here to create a soul, that is to say an individuality, something that's not part of the social machine that I was talking about before. And the, the, the part of the creating of soul, I will assert, is critical thinking, finding your own answers to your own, finding your own questions and your own answers to your own questions. And finding your own questions is perhaps a, a bigger part of it. The fourth way and Don Juan's tradition are the only traditions I've run across of the many traditions that doesn't have inherent individuality. You don't, you're not born with a soul that's going to go to heaven, that's going to reincarnate, etc. You have to do some, we have an opportunity to do something here. If we take, if we take that opportunity and struggle, we have an opportunity to create a soul, an individuality <clears throat> that can continue. I'm, I would prefer to use the term individuality instead of soul and take it away from this kind of mystical thing of a soul. What's that? Everybody's born with a soul. Yes, everybody has a seed. Doesn't mean every seed gets watered and turns into and sprouts. But never mind. That's the fourth way kind of version of it. One of my guides said, you know, it. To find a question that's a burning question, something that engages you is a really a blessing, a rare thing, because your attention in a way becomes obsessed by the question, something that you have to, and it can be this thing of, of um, your passion. I'll also call, call your question, your daemon, your demon, that thing that possesses you. But to be possessed by something that keeps you moving, that keeps you questioning, that keeps you searching, that keeps you engaged. This is, this is what I'm talking about and using our mind as a tool rather than, rather than being used by it. But I wanted to also state there's a difference between religion and spirituality. And religions is sort of the exoteric or the outer thing that's given to help people like this planet's like a, can be a pretty rocky ride at times, and and we need religion serves its purpose, and for some people it's not enough. For the for the poor devils that it's not enough for, they have to go dig deeper. And for the for the rest of people, it gives meaning, it gives value, and it gives you value, meanings, it guides behavior, it does a lot of useful things. And within that, a lot of people within religions have gone deeply into them and have come through into something deeper, uh, into what I would call maybe spirituality or their own individual understanding of it. The Don Juan stuff really captivated a lot of people, but it's a particular tradition. You know, all of Don Juan's teachings were conveyed in Spanish. 
to this one guy. And you couldn't volunteer to become to, to become a student of Don Juan. You had to be selected by his vision, his ability to see. And everybody was selected. And his ability to see was his ability to understand, to read power, because he personally had power. It was a very selective thing for very few people. And one of the people was Carlos Castaneda, who happened to be able to turn it into best-selling books, because the first book was about drugs, and it came out in the late 60s, early 70s, and we were all into drugs, and it just was the right thing at the right time. But it's also brilliant writing, and there's a lot of truths in it, and it's much, it's a, it's a much more palatable or interesting presentation, or it was at that time, and it's still going on. There's a lot of elements that it didn't have in it that are in other traditions. It didn't have meditation in it. It didn't have prayer, didn't have mantra, didn't have singing. It didn't have dance, didn't have hatha yoga. Mm -hmm. It didn't have the idea of grace, didn't have the idea of God, though really the eagle was that. Um, or God, the intelligence of life, all these other things that people have find value that are that are parts of other lineages and traditions, like prayer. We often associate prayer as being this um, asking for something, asking, you know, God, give me a Mercedes Benz. Um, <laughs> you know, we think of prayer as supplicatory prayer, but you know, I think of prayer as an opportunity to, <clears throat> I'll do, I'll call this align my centers to work with um, a statement to bring mind, heart, and body all into one and to through making efforts through a, a particular prayer phrase to, act, to actually feel what I'm saying and feeling, when I use the word feeling, it's an organic thing, not like an emotion, which is something that's stimulated by the brain, which is a, a different animal than a feeling. And feeling often with heart feeling feels like it's in your heart. And prayer is this tool or potential vehicle to align, to align the centers, to use to to connect yourself and to become whole. I don't know if I'll find the quote in the, if I'll get to it, but Don Juan teaching says that all the teachings are in the body, which most traditions, most real traditions that I've encountered on state the importance of the body. And it's not about getting out of the body, even though there was half of Don Juan's tradition, which is dreaming, which was traveling in the astral or other planes and leave that, leave that be. Oh, and death. That was the other, uh, another thing that was important in the Don Juan teachings was death and death is behind your right shoulder and the importance of death. I can't remember death all the time. And in fact, who would want to? That'd be pretty impossible, but difficult. You'd be depressed and fear, you know, it's not a, a thing, but, but what is meant by that? Death conveys perspective. I've thought a lot about it because I tried to do these things. But anyway, you try and you fail, but you get something that you, something that you didn't think you were going to get. And death gives a sense of perspective to life. Death is like the doorway to eternity. 
we get caught up in things. Tax time becomes all-encompassing, you know, and you, you lose all perspective. And death has the possibility of giving a grand perspective to life and to giving a poignance to things where you're going, I'm never going to cross this. I'm never going to see this sunset again. It has that possibility to it when, when you ride it. So anyway, I want to restate death as something other than this entity that's behind your left shoulder, is it right? Anybody remember? What? It's left. Left. Left shoulder. Your left in mine. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, too, about uh, the ally and the advisor and omens that are messages that help you along your path. You said that uh, this this method or or this teaching didn't have prayer, but there was allies, there was mm-hmm. omens to help you go a certain direction and, and, and follow this way instead of that. I always found that interesting. I experienced this world as totally alive and communicating with me. I'm most of the time or often enough, not paying attention or don't know how to read the communications. But it's not to say that we're not being communicated. But I don't live in the desert anymore where you see crows going this way and and somebody taught you, oh, the crows, that mean, you know, where you, where you receive that as part of your cultural knowledge. Like when I read books about American Indians, um, that... Um, What's the most famous book, Black Elk Speaks? And he had two near-death experiences in it. And the iconography, the, the, the things, you know, the four horses and the eagle and all this thing was, that was real for their world. We don't, uh, you know, we don't, I grew up in Manhattan, you know. Well, there weren't many crows in Manhattan. There weren't many horses other than the ones that police rode around. We have to translate that, that the world is alive and intelligent, and if we are paying attention and aware and have questions and looking around, we're being spoken to. Coincidences. That's the way we're spoken to now. Einstein said, coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. What a great quote. And that's about the mystery of life in a way, that, that, that it's alive. We call it coincidence, and we dismiss it. There was a great NPR show, This American Life was devoted to coincidences. Anybody wants to Google this and find this. This American Life, coincidences. Unbelievable coincidences that people have. And we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go, oh, but that's God speaking to us, maybe. Or the, let me not use the word God, the intelligence of life. And we are part of it. And part of, part of the omens is what we say to one another. Sometimes, what you know, what you know, our communications with one another. So, um, but if we're not paying attention, we're going to miss it all. Or if we, or if we're accepting the scientific materialism, the answers of scientific materialism, we're going to dismiss these and go, "Ah, oh, it's a coincidence. Doesn't mean anything. There's nothing going on." Rather than understanding that what Jung called the synchronicity, the connectedness of things. One of the things that was put in the, in the description was um, the internal dialogue. So I want to read, do some readings from that. 
and this is great, personal history must be constantly renewed by telling parents, relatives, and friends everything one does. On the other hand, for the warrior who has no personal history, no explanations are needed. Nobody is angry or disillusioned with his acts. And above all, no one pins him down with their thoughts and their expectations. Stopping the internal dialogue. The internal dialogue is what grounds people to in the daily world. The world is such and such and so and or so and so. Only because we talk ourselves, talk to ourselves about it being such and such and so and so. That's not the same as stopping your mind. Another thing is he says, a warrior, a warrior can do unbelievable acts once he has stopped the internal dialogue. And anybody who meditates knows you can't stop your brain for very long. And they can sort of go on drift or park for, for varying short amounts of time. But an ongoing stopping of the brain, no. And getting ready to do this talk, I started paying attention to my internal dialogue again. I would go, oh my God, it's like an insane person living up there. <laughs> This stuff just keeps going on. This stuff just keeps going on and coming back. But it's not going to stop until you notice it. If you're not noticing, this stuff just kind of like, he did this, she did this, he didn't go, well, you know, this is on forever, you know, with, with, with this thing. But when you notice it, you go, oh, there it is again. And then you can shift gears. I like the way the fourth way has it. They have it as internal considering and external considering. And when you start paying more attention to what's going on outside your head, then you're paying attention to what's going on inside your head. It's useful really to be paying attention to what's going on outside of us. You know, somebody says something to you and the words have unique meanings to you we must all have examples of it where we have misunderstandings. Somebody says something, they mean one thing, and you understand it, or they understood it in a different way. You, you can catch that by they're not getting it, you, they see, you see it on their face, or there's a pause or various things. But the point is, is to pay more attention to what's going on outside your head than inside your head. That's a practical kind of handle on this stopping the internal dialogue because it can at least be done at times by listening, listening to other people, paying attention to what they're saying when you're, they're speaking to you. And if you're very smart, this, you have a hard time with this because they say two words and you know the rest of what they're going to say and you kind of like jump ahead, you want to complete their sentences and stuff like this. And it's not good, not useful. So slowing down, listening, paying attention to what's going on. That's maybe a way of beginning to get a handle on this term, the internal dialogue. And when you think about it, it's like, I am this kind of person. We dress in a way that identifies us or don't, doesn't identify us. You know, for some reason, you know, we dress very neutrally. Like women tend to dress a little bit there's more of a statement of some sort being made in the way women dress than men. And women are more creative and colorful. That's nice. And a little bit of, of sexist editorializing there, excuse me. Um, uh, no, I mean, I've gotten into this recently because, I don't know how much, because, uh, uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> 
I have some women's clothing hanging in my closet. <laughs> but it's not for the reasons you would normally think that you would project about this. There's practical reasons for it. Uh, and, I've, and I've had to make a study of this. We talk to ourselves incessantly about our, about our world. In fact, we maintain our world with our internal talk. And whenever we finish talking to ourselves about ourselves and our world, the world is always as it should be. We renew it. We rekindle it with life. And we uphold it with our internal talk. Not only that, but we also choose our paths as we talk to ourselves. Thus, we repeat the same choices over and over until the day we die, because we keep on repeating the same internal talk over and over until the day we die. A warrior is aware of this and strives to stop his internal talk. But he says he strives. And the only way you can make any difference is when you notice it, when you're paying attention and going, oh, I'm, you know, this, you know, this mantra of whatever the mantra, whatever your mantras are. When I'm driving and I, you know, my commentary about other people's driving starts, um, which was like an endless thing for me. Oh, they're, they're slow. They're, and I catch it very fast now and put it in park, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> no, but um, this is, there's hope for us. If I could stop what, what used to go on for me with driving, the Titanic can be turned, but not generally not overnight. And even the people who are propelled for one reason or another into the world of Nawal, which is like a great thing because most of the time, most of us are like taking somebody's word for it that there is this like unbelievable, this infinity and eternity. And we're in, we're in this world of time. By the way, nobody can explain time. You know, you ask any scientist and nobody knows what time is. In fact, nobody knows most of anything. If you think about it, physics is like science fiction. The number of universes is from one to infinity. It's got, there's theories for one to infinity number of universes. From physicists, people just deal with math. In the work, you're doing something for, you can't see any result. You don't know what the result is. You're not guaranteed a result. You don't know if there is a result because the result you're trying to, in a way, have is to be these exotic results that are more mythic, like to be in that wild, to live in, in, in another reality, to, you know, this kind of whole mythic thing. Whereas, you know, all the other, these people work incredibly hard for different things, but it's a tangible goal, the gold medal, become a doctor. You're motivated to accomplish something for something that you can, that you'll have. You'll be rich. You'll be famous. You'll be successful. Or in some doctors, you'll be able, you'll be able to help people. That's a pretty good thing. And Don Juan's teaching, there's no community other than the community of warriors. You know, in the fourth way you have, we're, we're brought into this world to, to do something. We have a possibility. Everybody has a, a possibility of in some way helping out the situation. And so doing it to help people, that's, that's pretty good. That's close. But it, in, in various traditions, 
It's very intangible, just like this unceasing process. And in all the traditions that I've been involved in or studied, there is no end because what you're struggling against is your own conditioning. Because we're born into a world, we're born into these bodies. These bodies are easily programmable. They are programmed unconsciously by the culture, by our parents, not with any, well, in some degree of malignancy, but not with real malice. It's just this world is programmable. Some of that is good. We, we, are, we are beings capable of habits. Some habits are good. A lot of the programming is good. You wouldn't want to try and remember to keep your heart beating and, and going from there. A lot of the, it's good that all of these things have been already programmed in you. And then there's more program programming added. And there's a lot of unnecessary programming added. And that's social cultural socialization so that you fit into the machine of society so you can get a job, you have a family, you have kids, and you, you go along, along, you know, that track. And if this works for you, great. And it doesn't work for, for the people it doesn't work for, the ones who go, is this, is this as good as it gets? Those are the ones that are here in this room tonight. But this, this other potentiality is, can be so abstract and so sometimes ephemeral. If you're working in groups, I really recommend lineages that have groups, but some people really don't want to do that. So you go to a monastery, those people, but you're working with groups and then you're working with some other idiots who are obviously not getting it. If they only got it, the whole thing would work out better. And, um, <laughs> You know, so you're struggling, you know, initially, actually, you're struggling more with them. You're not really realizing how much you're projecting on them. (laughs) And and once you stop that, you'll be facing yourself. The people who read the Castaneda book, didn't you? Like I was reading, I was like, this guy's so dumb. If I were were there, I would get it. You know, that's what I was thinking when I was reading. (laughs) He's asking Don Juan these stupid questions all the time. This guy's so linear. God, how did he end up there and not me? Damn it. The person who's the guide sometimes is, can seem obtuse, cannot be answering your questions, can be behaving in ways that you don't understand and you project or shouldn't, shouldn't be that way. When you're with a real, you know, not just a study group leader, but when you're really with the teacher, when you're, you know, when you're with somebody who's a creative source of the teaching, they are meant to be the denying force to your affirming force. That is to say, you've got this idea, I want to wake up, I want to be enlightened. And they're like these people who are not giving you what you think you really should have. I'm ready for, give it to me. I'm ready for the esoteric teachings. I'm ready to whatever. But you know, when I was reading the Don Juan books, but I was also reading He's out in the desert and he's given drugs with these things happen and he's terrified and he's running around in the dark. He was always like max stressed out thinking he was going to die. Monsters are chasing him. You know, he's transformed into a bird that it really, you know, he was like stressed constantly. And Don Juan was like, he was pulled out of the river. He was going to drown. Endless things. And, you know, it sounds very romantic, but if you think about it a bit, this this was like really intense. This was not easy. 
you know, the quotes that I pulled out are like pulling out diamonds from a setting. And the setting was just the things that all the experiences this guy was going through, most of which were terrifying. Over and over again, he's left in a room and there's like noises outside and there's a whirlwind, there's a, you know, endless terrifying experiences that he went through. And, you know, you're here I am reading it as a story and it sounds very romantic, but it was not easy. You know, I thought about it and I thought, this is not, I don't know that it would be, I would be that different. But anyway, you struggle with the teacher and then after maybe the teacher, you struggle with the teaching. I'm not sure if the teaching is the Dharma, the instructions, and sometimes the instructions, any good instructions are not clear or not spelled out. Because if they were spelled out, you would memorize them and think you got something. So any good, you know, any good Dharma is, has some degree of ineffability, nebulousness, lack of clarity. Um, any good Dharma is really told in stories not as linear teachings, you know, not spelled out, is told in stories, through metaphors, and and it's sort of like hinting at something. And teachers, real teachers, do the same thing. They don't spell anything out. They give they give parts of instruction, bits and pieces here and there for you to put together the pieces if you hang around long enough to do this. And this hang around long enough you, is a long time. It's your whole life. We, we grow up in a world where we believe that we are entitled to instant gratification, to instant ever, whatever. And people understand that, okay, it's a lot of things you have to work for, but you got a headache, you take an aspirin. And a lot of things are sold to us on the basis of like, you can just pay some money and you get what you want fast instead of um, working for it. So this this is like a, a, a not so good part of our culture that infuses a lot of people in, in the work or in any of these teachings. It's like you're constantly having to deal with like, we want to get it. We want it to be over and done with. And the teacher's kind of like, he's stringing you along as if you're getting near, or it's getting near, you're getting nearer and you're getting nearer. And so that you hang in. So you keep up, you keep this, this, stuff up and you do have gains. I mean, you do see, you know, the, you do see the Titanic turning a little bit now and then. People, everybody wants the same thing. We all want to be happy. We all want to, and we all want to feel like, uh, like our lives are somehow a contribution, that we're contributing to, the, to this world somehow. We're contributing to other people's lives. Meaning, everybody wants meaning in life. We all want to sense that our lives has meaning, that we're contributing to the well-being of other beings, to the world, to something. This is natural. This is innate. And this gets co-opted by a lot of different things in the world. Where we're willing to sell out, where, where we go, this is good enough. There's a whole huge body of scientists from many different disciplines that say that we have no free will. And Gurdjieff spoke of it as mechanicality, that we're totally mechanical. And to change anything was an enormous thing. And in the Don Juan teachings, we have the same thing again. I'm not reading the stuff from the teachings there, but it says that it's, it's almost impossible to change our conditioning. It's going to be a lifelong struggle. And we're struggling with our conditioning, with, with um, 
with the body. I just want to like sit back and zone out. You know, we want quiet, peace, and to keep going, to keep moving. I mean, really, when I meditate in the morning, that's, as, that's the high point of my day. That's as good as it gets. And it's just downhill from there. You know, it's like you got to, like, get answer mail. You got to go make food. You get hungry. You got to piss. You got to, you know, it's just one thing after another all day long. You sit and just sit and meditate and just stay there zoned out. <laughs> half asleep, half awake. But this is not really living. There's a great, there's a great quote, ships, when ships are at harbor, they are safe. But again, that's not what ships were made for. Wonderful quote. But ships are safer in a storm out at sea, I've heard, than in a harbor. I'm not enough of a seaman to make any... I mean, I'd be just... Yeah, if there's a storm, they would be safer at sea than in the harbor, but only during a storm. There's, you got to qualify that. If there's no storm there, if there, anyway, we don't need to, we don't need to try and explicate that metaphor any further. I don't want to get esoteric because, because the more complicated you get, the less useful something is. And you want it to be something that's useful. I got this thing here that says the end. What am I going to say? I write these things and I'm all, Excited when I write it, and now I'm here. I'm going, What was I thinking? Uh, this was important once. <laughs> Don Juan's teachings are like they're, they're very, it's, it's a tradition that's very kind of like personal. You know, it, he was not, you know, Don Juan was a teacher to a handful of people. It's a very limited tradition. And this thing of external considering. The people are very mechanical, we're culturally conditioned, and you can't really get it for somebody else until you've seen how conditioned you are, until you've done that homework of seeing how mechanical you can be at times, how conditioning has impacted you, before you can really get that. You know, everybody's doing the best they can, so give them the benefit of the doubt, treating them with kindness. It's really so simple. Maybe not easy to do all the time when you get plugged in, when somebody, something happens and something in your own conditioning, your own sense of abandonment, you know, a lot of, you know, like we've got most, almost everybody's wounded, either more wounded or less wounded. And when something triggers, you know, we can, we can cut somebody some slack as long as it's not on a, one of our corns or one of our wounds. And then all of a sudden we can get very, excited and irritated and, and, you know, get all worked up about something and noticing when that happens to take a step back and breathe or whatever you can do and not respond from that. 